you open up your Tanakhim to Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12, which is right in the heart of the Passover story. It is on page, yeah, start from page 135 in your GPSs, um, and God says to Moses, you want, you mind reading since you found it, in Hebrew or English? Great. God said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall mark for you the beginning of the month. It shall be the first of the month of the year for you. Okay, the first this month, which we call in the Jewish calendar, since the Babylonian period at least, Chodesh Nisan, the month of Nisan should be the first of the months for you. That's why it's like, in, in one way, it's actually the Rosh Hashanah of the year, not, not, not Tishrei. Okay, and he and then continues and says in verse 3, Speak to the whole community of Israel and say that on the tenth of this month, each of them shall take a lamb to a family, a lamb to a household. Okay. On the tenth of this month, on the tenth of this month, so the tenth of the first month, maybe reminiscent of Yom Kippur, um, everyone here should everyone should take um, a one lamb each selavet avot selabayit, one lamb per paterfamilias, one pa, one one lamb per per family. And what are they going to do with this? As you know, sacrifice it, and they take the they make a sacrifice. They take the blood. Okay, continue on. But if the household is too small for a lamb, let him share one with a neighbor who dwells nearby in proportion to the number of persons. You shall contribute for the lamb according to what each household will eat. Keep going. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a yearling male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goat. Indeed, it sounds like a sacrifice, an unblemished sacrifice. And then we have in verse 6. You shall keep watch over it until the 14th day of this month, and all the assembled congregation of the Israelites shall slaughter it at twilight. You shall keep watch over this lamb. What they mean by keep watch is not entirely clear, um, right? But um, apparently they have it. For how many days do the Israelites have this lamb? For four days, I guess, from the 10th until the 14th of the month, when they slaughter at Ben Harabayim. Here they translate that as at twilight or in the afternoon. This is the Karban Pesach, Yudal and Nisan. And then in Pesach Mitzrayim and Pesach in Egypt, unlike Pesach Dorot, unlike the generational mitzvah of Pesach, they continue on, as someone mentioned, to take the blood of, of, the, of the lamb, ostensibly, and to put it on the two, two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they are to eat. And they eat it on matzah to morurim, matzah and maror, Pesach Seder, etc., etc. And um, this is... Um, apparently um, meant to be a protective gesture, as we see if you flip to page 137, to when Moshe actually tells this uh, story in verse 21 through 23, um, when you put it on the lintels, God will go through, the Lord will go through to smite the Egyptians, the Avar Hashem, God will pass over, God will see the blood on the lintel, on the doorpost, Ufasach, Pesach, Ufasach, Adonai Petach, God will pass over the doorpost and will not allow the Mashchit, bless you here, translated as the destroyer, some, cer- some sort of demonic or uh, force, Lavol, Abadechem, Lengof, not let the destroyer come um, and smite your home. Okay, so many interesting things about, about this passage that we read, that we read before. But regarding this idea of taking it on the 10th, Bahayalacham Mushmer, taking it on the 10th and having it for apparently four days. Apparently having it for four days before you have to slaughter it. What do, what do you think the Chumash commands that? Why does God command that the Paschal Lamb be taken four days prior to it actually being necessary in order to, before slaughtering it? And actually it's a twofold question. Right? One is why on sort of one level, it's why four days before, why keep Adlin Mishmerit? On the, on a, I think on a more basic question is why command that at all? If you commanded the Israelites to sacrifice the lamb on the 14th, so L'chorah, they'd have to take it at some point, just for logistical reasons, otherwise they wouldn't have it. You don't have to command it as a separate, as a separate mitzvah. Right? Indeed, actually, just by the way, um, the mitzvah of Lulav, the Arba Minim, L'chachtim L'chem Yom Harishon, by Sukkot, taking the four species, so Chazal understand that as being a mitzvah of lekicha, right? To take netila lulav, it's a mitzvah to take the four species. By take, we mean put them all together and, and do na'anuim, to shake and to shake them. There are readings of uh, of chumash 
Ibn Ezra references these readings, these are Karad readings, he references them in his parish on the Chumash, that the Lukachim doesn't actually, it's not actually a mitzvah in itself. It's like a preparatory, um, preparatory logistical point. It's like, take these things, and then, and then, be misamech with them, rejoice in them, for the carrots that would mean build you sukkah out of these four species. Actually, so we understand that differently, Chazal do. Um, but here, this is actually one of their proof texts, right? These types of statements. Take the lamb, of course, take the lamb in order to slaughter. So two questions. Why four days early, and why command taking it all? Just say slaughter it, and we know you've got to get hold of it somehow, right? Yeah, what's your name? Uh, Tova. Tova. Um, maybe you want it for the Right. And the other one is make sure it's a viable animal and healthy. And it's not something that's okay, good. So Torah says one is just like it's like an Eitzah in the form of a mitzvah, mm-hmm. right? For the good advice for the procrastinators, some four days, they'll get to it by the 16th of Nisan, maybe, and they'll back, they'll, you know, post date the check. Um, and then also just make sure to check it out. Mishmeret, make sure that it's actually still whole. That, by the way, could be what Mishmeret means, right? Make sure, first of all, it's not blemished, and then keep it, prevent it from becoming blemished in the course of those coming days. Yeah. Well, four days would be enough to feed it something and clear out its system so that if there was, if there's no instructions here, but if, if it might have been eating something that would be noxious or unpleasant, it would go through and you would have it, fed it sweet rosemary or something, so when you roast it, it's particularly delicious. That, that's actually very, that's very, very interesting. You would hope that then the chumash would say, feed it sweet rosemary so it tastes delicious, if that was its main point, but you're, I, I understand you're reading, yeah. I'm thinking that maybe, the, I don't know specifically about the four days, but maybe just a period of time to then make it something valuable to add to the meaning that a sacrifice Right, has. okay, so it's good to distinguish between one, the four days per se, why that number, why not three, now why not five? Of course, if it was three, we'd ask why not four, but anyway. Uh, but also just to have some duration of time as an indication of its value, an indication of its import. It's not a one-day thing. You sit with it for a little bit, literally, right? You have the lamb bang and ba- bang in your in your lamb flower, that sheep. Well, whatever, uh, in your in your home, and that somehow will raise the impact of this mitzvah on your consciousness. It's in your space, literally. Yeah. Yeah, they would have had ample time to heal from their circumcision. Interesting. Interesting. Four days, right? So if we're so, we didn't read this in our passage, but it does say in the Chumash that in order for any owner for males to partake of the Paschal sacrifice, which they must do, they have to be sacrificed. They have to, well, that was actually an interesting slip. They have to be, they have to be circumcised. And there are readings, and we'll come back to this later on, there are readings of circumcision in general as a form of sacrifice, right, of bloodletting on the human body, which marks the person as some sort of sacrifice to God, as it were, without actually altering, often the person on the altar. The male, at least. So that's actually that's actually an interest, interesting possibility. In any event, they have to be have to be circumcised. So you, you're not your name, sorry. Livia. Even though I've met you before, sorry. Right, so Livia, Livia says, oh, perhaps they have to be. They need time to heal. Interesting, possibly interesting. Yeah, and anyway, so let's take one more. Was it? Uh, yeah. For those who say that the taking the sheep was specific because it was an Egyptian god, so you have enough time to. Like show that you don't care, and right. even if people try to steal it, it's your yeah. And there's actually midrashic voice which articulates something along these lines. Actually, I'm about to show you from Mechilta, which is a Tanaitic, like second century uh, ver, uh, work on Shemot on Exodus. So one of the opinions, which we're not dealing with at all tonight, argues that the purpose of um, taking them early was somehow to deal with the fact that Israel was shatuf babodazara. What they mean themselves, what they mean their context. It was like an, an idolatrous. Uh, an idolatrous uh, context, and somehow this was meant to combat that. Maybe by virtue of what Mookie is suggesting, right? Do you have four? This is the one I heard as a kid, actually. Anyone else hear that? Right? Four days, it's there, it's in the Egyptian space. This is your god. Haha, four days, we're going to slaughter it, right? And therefore, we're going to, you know, there you go, we're not idolaters. Okay, possible. But then we're going to slaughter it with your god. Sort of, right? And then eat it, and then eat it. What's that? Right, this, is, this is what, well, right, I'm not going to always a calf, it was maybe also, you're talking about eagle as a half. Yeah, but in general, okay. Yeah, say, in general. The lamb has the, the symbol of sacrifice, whereas the calf has the symbol of... Oh, I hear you saying, I missed your point, okay, thank you, glad you clarified. No, so you take it on the 14th of the month. So if you take it on the 10th of the month, that's four days later, you get to hit the 14th of the month. It says earlier, and it says in verse, um, it says in verse 3. 
On the 10th of the month, they shall take it. Okay. The Mechilta offers this Midrash. In front of you is Ramatib and Cheresh. This is maybe one of the more, more well-known uh, responses. This is a uh, Midrash. So, which says here in the Mechilta is as follows. It says, Why does scripture require? This is my translation, so all errors are my own. Why? Why does scripture require the lamb be taken four days before its sacrifice? And then it says, Well, this Tana, used to say the following. I suspect, I can't prove this, that Ramatimichirish said this in a different context, and it was cut and pasted into our Midrash, because we'll see that he doesn't actually address that core question of the Mechilta itself directly at any point in the course of his comments. He never actually says why they took it four days early. He makes a different point, which I think the Mechilta thinks is relevant to this question. So it's not a big deal, but just so you know, I, I think there's a bit of a, a, bit of a, of a seam there in the text. Ramat Mechiresh used to say as follows. And what he does is, he recruits um, verses in Nechezkel and Ezekiel chapter 16 um, to discuss the Exodus. So if you actually keep your finger or some way of marking Exodus over here and flip to Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16 can be found in your GPS as it begins on page 1180. 1180. And before we look at what he does with this text, why don't you turn to the person next to you and um, read in Hebrew or the English from the beginning, from verse 1, um, all the way to the bottom of 1181, right to the bottom of, um, of uh, verse 14. Okay? And see what you think Yeshazkel is trying to say. Okay, the claim is going to be that he's describing the Exodus. That's what Matthew Mechirish's claim. He's describing the Exodus. So see what you think. Well, it's a very provocative text. Very provocative. Um, much written about. Actually, my colleague, Dr. Kohler, who was teaching Bishat Shalom, he actually had, he just told me the other week he's publishing an article in Catholic Bible Quarterly on this, on this, on this uh, passage. So keep your eye out, all you subscribers. Um, it's, a, it's a very provocative passage. Um, assuming, let's just go with Ramatim and Cheresh for a moment. Assuming that Ezekiel here is discussing the Exodus, I just have to like sort of make that jump for, 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 for time's sake. Okay, and I'll try to, in just a moment, I'll ask you why do you think Ramatim and Cheresh, like what textual you know, hints are there that that might actually be a fair reading of Ezekiel of Ezekiel? Assuming that it is a good reading, that it is a retelling of the Exodus, so why does Ezekiel retell the Exodus in, via this story of the foundling babe who is found wallowing in her blood by the side of the road and picked up by the passerby, washed and cared for and, and raised, um, eventually looks like married right, by the finder. Um, what is Ezekiel's point? Why tell the Exodus in that way? Right, so, so Chazal say that we're supposed to tell the story of the Exodus in a way which begins in, this, in, in, a, in a describing a sort of denigration or in a sort of bad situation and then it, and it rises to a, to a situation of, of, of a good place, right, or, or praise. Okay, so traditionally that, that's true. This does fit this paradigm, right? In the beginning she's wallowing in her blood and then eventually abandoned by the side of the road. Right? Who is she apparently in the metaphor? The Israel, I assume, right? And I assume God is the one passing by. At least that's the simplest way of reading if you think this is about the Exodus. And then eventually he married her. But there's many ways of doing Matzchil Beginut Vesan Svarashvach, right? There could have been many different imageries which would fulfill that criteria. So why the specific one? What, what, what's Yechezkel trying to say about redemption from Egypt, about redemption, about Egypt, God, Israel? Yeah. Well, I, I what do you think? We're, we're, we're supposed to be completely loyal to God. Mm. So one way to achieve that is to think about, you know, if somebody... You know, it, the gratitude is not like, oh, you gave me something. I owe my entire survival to Okay, you. okay, yeah. So that, that I definitely think has a lot of, um, a lot of truth to what you're saying. Right? In other words, there's a sense of total dependence on God, um, a sense of, of fealty eventually. And you see, as you, if you, if you read on, that part of Chesel's point is that the people have not been loyal to God the way which is, which is as deserved. But there's a sense in which if you were picked up as a foundling being totally helpless, totally dependent, and then someone else when you couldn't pay them back, took you in, so you owe them in a different way than if you were, for example, an independent yet, you know, uh, enslaved individual who already had a sense of agency and autonomy and 
but then someone else helped you out and returned you, redeemed you, returned you to your state of freedom, it has a more dramatic turn to it, more dramatic, dramatic tone. Yeah? Something that I was picking up was that, I mean, in the whole, you know, the whole narrative, like, the baby didn't earn anything. Mm. The baby's just, like, intrinsically just sitting there, and then, you know, the woman later on, when she was older, she didn't do anything to necessarily earn the love, per se. It just came from compassion and love intrinsically. Okay. There wasn't anything that they gave, in this case, to God, but they were just there, and God added his own love, kind of. Okay, do other people, does that resonate with other people's reading of Yosefskel? The sense of the undeservedness? It works well, what's your name? Sorry? Yeah. point works well, Sharon's point, right? The sense that, the sense that the total dependency on the part of the, of the bib, helplessness, you know, works in tandem with the fact that this is an infant child who doesn't actually earn, like, her, her being taken in. Whether or not she's adopted here or not is a scholarly debate. But, but taken in nonetheless, right? And she, somehow it's a, if only we had a word for it, right? Grace is the word for it, right? That she's taken in out of an act of grace by the passer buyer, um, and that um, and um, and that maybe is part of part of Ezekiel's, Ezekiel's point. Yeah. So so these are some of the things which which I think do emerge right out of uh, out of this reading. Um, what do you guys make of the blood? What's that about? You know that this passage, by the way, "V'demai chayi, v'demai chayi." I chose it for the title of uh, of the shir because. It's, uh, it's, it's somewhat well known, at least uh, in certain circles. We, it said it, we said it li- uh, liturgically. I mean, two times, two times, two, two times, two, two events. One is at a brit milah. One is at a circumcision, at least in Ashkenazic right, which I'm more familiar with. And we hear another Mizrach, different right to the Mizrachim. I guess I'm not sure myself, but certainly in Ashkenazic right, b'demai chayi, b'demai chayi, that we say, "May your blood live, by your blood live." We'll see why that is in just a moment. Uh, and also, you may recognize it from the Haggadah. Right, during the Magid section of the Haggadah, this, this verse is referenced as well as the one right before it. Now, the truth is, that reference, but the Ma'achai, you will not find in earlier Haggadot. In Ashkenazic Haggadot, it was inserted by, by the students of the Rizal, by the Lurianic Kabbalists, who inserted it for their own reasons. In Sephardic Haggadot, we have some from, from earlier before. But before that, you actually won't find it. It's, it's, a, later, it's a later insertion to the, to the Haggadah, and again, I hope to show tonight where, in part, that might be coming from. Um, sometimes you find these manuscripts. I have a neighborhood, a manuscript of Haggadah on, uh, on her wall there. It's, it's not there in that, in that particular manuscript. I don't know the provenance of it, other than it's in my neighbor's wall. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, there, but there you go. So if you turn to your Midrash over here, look where Matthew Kher And actually, you know, go back to your Chavruta again. And this time, read the Midrash in the English or the Hebrew. This is a second century, more or less, Tanaitic work. Look where Matthew Kherish does. And pay attention to like how he's reading Yechezkel and why. Okay. So what do you notice about what do you notice about what Mechiresh, how he's reading Yechezkel? How he reads Ezekiel? What do you notice? What's interesting to you? Need more time. You definitely need more time, but nonetheless, I can't get that. Colorful. Yes, Yeah. What's that? Sorry. It's a bit colorful. It is colorful. Yeah. Same. What else? The exact opposite of what I said before. How so? You need to do something in order to earn the redemption. Okay, right. So the main point I overheard you guys saying this as well is that, the, right, I mean, clearly what he, it's, a, it's an inversion, right, of the message of Yechezkel, of Ezekiel. It takes the teeth right out of it because Ezekiel's point is that if, we're, if you guys are right, which I, I, I think you are, <laughs> if, Ezekiel's, if Ezekiel's point is that, the, is that Israel is a founding babe, is a child abandoned by the side of the road, wallowing in her blood, and doesn't do anything to deserve being redeemed. So his point is the exact opposite. You can't be redeemed. God actually wanted to come redeem the people, but what could God do? The people had no mitzvot to be wor- by, by, by virtue of which to be worthy of being redeemed. One needs mitzvot to be redeemed. You see the last line of the Midrash, right? You only can receive reward through ma'aseh, through action or deed or here mitzvot, um, and if Israel had not done them, then it, God just could not fulfill God's promise, even, God, even though God, God would want to. So God, therefore, has to give them, give them these mitzvot. Again, he doesn't refer to the mitzvot taking it four days early, like I pointed out. Right? But he refers to two mitzvot, the Paschal Lamb, Pesach, and the, and the Mila, and Bismillah, and the circumcision. More specifically, the blood thereof. The blood of the Paschal Lamb, the blood of the circumcision, yeah. Does this possibly raise the difference between biblical theology and rabbinic theology? Well, I'm not sure I'd say that, that's a little broad. I think, I think certainly in terms of, I think certainly uh, 
I'm going to tell you why I think that's a little, little bit broad, right? It depends on how... how because they're reading into the need for mitzvot into the biblical text. That's true, but this is a particular... I, I, think it, I think it speaks to the difference between Ezekiel's perspective on redemption and Ramat HaMecherish's perspective on redemption. Am I willing to go so far as to say biblical versus rabbinic? No. Why? In part because if he is right, Ramat HaMecherish, that God commanded these commandments before they leave Egypt, or specifically so they are occupied with the mitzvot, so then Exodus itself right, speaks of doing deeds before redemption. So it depends on how you read Exodus in, in, in its own right. Um, but I think that you're, there are definitely some, I think there's definitely a machlok in here between Ezekiel and, and Ramat and Cheresh. And I say machlok and not just like a, not just like a reinterpretation, because he's not only inverting the message, and I don't know if you, if you caught this, but he inverts the order of the verses. Right? And then he tells the story backwards. He cites verse 8, and then he cites verse 7, and then he cites verse 6. I came to you, it is time for eight dodim, you were all grown up, right? but you're naked. Right? This is the end of the story in Ezekiel. Um, you're naked of mitzvot, in other words, in his, in his telling. Um, and what I had to do, therefore, is give you mitzvot of blood. I see you, I pass by. You're wallowing in your blood. That, in Ezekiel, that's the beginning of the story. That's when he finds her. But here, that's when he's able to finally, at the end, after she's wallowing in her blood, so we can say, wow, you know, sort of immersed, 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 um, uh, surrounded by the blood of her mitzvot, Israel's mitzvot of the carbon Pesach, the Paschal Lamb, and the, and the circumcision, now can finally redeem her. So he totally reverses the order of Ezekiel. So I actually don't think it's actually a loyal reading of Ezekiel at all. It's not meant to be a loyal reading of, of Ezekiel. But why does he think, speaking of that verse, why does he think that this has to do with the Exodus? It's like a footnote, but what, what in this verse, would, in this verse, sorry, in this passage in Ezekiel would make you think of, oh, he's telling, he's retelling the Exodus. Right, are there semantic links? Are there... Hmm? It's sort of the narrative idea of like your, your beginning and your origins, etc. I mean, that speaks to like the origin stories, and I guess leading Egypt is the origin story to people in, in a sense. That's true. Well, he marries them. He marries them, so if you think of, right, so again, that, Sinai, right? How about textually? There's kind of an ongoing attachment without the needle cord being cut also. <laughs> like a sort of imprisonment there. Uh-huh. You're saying that's evocative of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. kind of, I don't know, tied in. Tied in, right, right. Assyrian in that sense, so, yeah. Um, well, Assyrian, I'm sorry. Yeah. seeing in um, verse 8 that, like, saying, and I passed over you and saw that your time had arrived. Yeah, so things so like, like that. Like, obviously, that's, like, to me, like, Passover, but... Um, well, let me ask you pause you for one second, right? And then there's verse 8, it also comes up in verse 6, ve'avor elaych ve'arich, the passing over the avar... By the way, Ayin Bet Reish appears all over the place in those sections of Exodus. I don't have time right now to go through it, but if you look through it again, you'll see that Ayin Bet Reish comes over, uh, com- comes comes up in many different contexts in, in surprising surprising ways in the passage. Ve'arich, and I see you. God sees, right? The sense of passing over and seeing. So I suspect that that indeed is is part of it, um, as well as Ishavalak, and I and I swore I swore and entered into a breach with you. So that makes me think already of Sinai, which you mentioned over there, right? This breed with the oath, the covenant, right? Which is why we talk about it as a marriage in part. Um, um, so it does, it does, I think that there is some evidence, although it's not a slam dunk, I have to say, right? as, far, as, far, as far as I can tell. Uh, what else did you want to say? Oh, um, I was going to say that I like, saw that your time had arrived, whatever that might mean, but the idea that like this was like the time um, at which like God chose Moses to like, go and free the people. There wasn't right. necessarily anything, like, particularly special about this time as opposed to, like, a few years prior or a few years later. Right. Right. time that God had chosen. Right. There's, uh, there's, there's, right. there's, uh, there's some time. Right. We wish there was, like, again, some semantic link. That'd be great. Hyperlink. But we'll take what we can, <laughs> what we can get over here. So, yeah, I think one point Matthew Nechiris is making the time to be Osik and Mitzvot. Now, he talks about two bloods. One of the Paschal Lamb, one of the, one of the circumcision. Paschal Lamb, I think we got. We're talking about Pesach, right? So we have the blood of the Paschal Lamb. That's the primary mitzvah of this section, Exodus 12, and regarding Pesach, as it's eponymously named. Um, um, and its blood is put over onto, onto the lintels. Where does the blood of the circumcision come from here? Like, what, what, is, what is it doing here? Where does he get that from, the blood of the circumcision? 
Textually, I know he cites uh, he cites Zechariah, Zechariah, with regards to the notion that right, that um, that that I freed you right with b'dam b'teich right with and we're hearing a via the blood of your circumcision. Black bracket that part of Zechariah for a second. But where does he get the idea that blood of circumcision is is here, right? Which pasuk? Right. So one option. Right. So you're saying it's you're saying it's plural. Is that your point? In one majaf, by the way, in, in a parallel majaf. So that's not the one saying. In a parallel majaf, by the way, then someone here is saying, why is there two? But the mai chayi, if you think damim is damim is plural, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's multiple sources of the blood. It could just be like it's plural. Um, you know, kol me achichat so kimalai. Right. Says God to. To, to Cain, right? Because the Midrash there as well says there's multiple bloods all over the place, but it also means blood, I'm not bloods, you know, a lot, bunch of stuff. But anyway, one Midrash said, but Midamai Chai, that in your blood, so it's two sources of blood. However, you don't mean that. What do you mean? I mean, but, so you're asking, your question is, why did the Masal Shmal bring this idea of Mila into this picture? Is that the question? Yeah, I mean, specifically, right. where the, the idea of the blood, the blood of the Mila um, being Mila. Well. Right. No, pump for care. In other words, the reason you say that bris mila is because of this mechilta. He didn't know that. <laughs> Just the opposite. In other words, the reason we say that bris mila, I assume, emerges from this midrashic tradition, which is to say that we read the ma'asayi as referring. To, to the blood, not only the Paschal Lamb, but also the circumcision. But how did he know that? To, how did he know so this only makes a point, by the way, in terms of the inversion of Ramatim and Cherish here, of this, of this Midrash, the full force of it. And I saw you, Mitbosesed B'damayich, and I said, B'damayich Chayi, B'damayich Chayi. When Ezekiel says this, how do you translate B'damayich, the bet of B'damayich Chayi, the prefix B'damayich, how do you, I don't know, I don't even look at JPS, I don't know how, 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 did, how, do, how do they, how do you translate B'damayich Chayi contextually? In your blood. In your blood. You know, that can mean in and with and via. Or, I, I don't think it means. I mean, I guess it can mean in your blood, but <laughs> the force of it was. It's like by your blood. Okay, so here's the thing. I think Rashi and Chirish going to say that, but what do you think of that? I, I think in that in the context is what. In spite of your blood. What do you mean in spite of your blood? Why do you but say that? Why do they translate it as in spite of your blood? I'm not. I'm, you're saying something good. I'm just saying. What, what, what makes you say that? In fact, when a baby has blood around them, it's because of the blood of their mom, not their blood. Own blood. Yeah, by the way, if you look at Ezekiel, if you like, look into it a little bit, you know, you and look into the classic commentaries, look into the our little friend over here by Moshe Greenberg, Anchor Bible, like what blood are they referring to here? That's interesting. Is it some sort of is it some sort of pathological? Is it a problem, right, or is it the afterbirth? And, well, yes, yeah, it depends on how you how you read this passage. But in any event, the reason they write in spite of is that they think the narrative force, the rhetorical force of the passage is even though you're wallowing in your blood and you're down on the side of the road and are dirty, nonetheless, you shall live. Nonetheless, you shall live. Vidamayach, meaning in spite of your blood. Ramatu Cheresh means it the other way. He reads it as because of your blood. Dafka via your blood. It's, exactly, it's a total inversion of the meaning of, meaning of Ezekiel. He inverts Ezekiel left, right, and center. Right, all, the, all the time. Yes, I'm asking where they get Brit Milah here from. Right, so one, one point you mentioned earlier, Brit Milah. Brit Milah does have resonance, does have relevance to the story in general, as you pointed out earlier. You can't eat the Paschal Lamb if you're male, if you're not circumcised. So, for sure, that, that's actually, that's part of it. Right? They're assuming there is circumcision, blood, blood there. By the way, it's not entirely clear from this Midrash, is it? But, no, it's not entirely clear. But in other parallels, it gets even, I think Rashi says, in other parallels um, in Pirkei Eliezer, it gets a little more dramatic. Like we said earlier, when we read, when we read Exodus, we say you take the blood of the lamb and you put it in the doorpost and the lintels. But as some of you must know, in, the, in a parallel to this midrash, you mix the blood of the paschal lamb with the blood of the circumcision, and together, commingled, they get placed on the doorpost. Right? So together, they're doing the work of, of redemption or protection from protection from the mashchit in order in order in order to in order to redeem. So it's even more. And so what, what's that about, actually? Right? This, why, 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 why the commingling it in this midrash, commingling literally on the doorpost, but why bring it in here? So one thing, again, we said here is that you have to be circumcised to eat your that, that is true. Yeah? When you say by your blood, then we're saying <coughs> covenantal as well. So when baby boys are born and we bring them into the covenant, we serve circumcision, 
Okay, so for sure that's part of it as well, right? The Brit Milah, right? The circumcision. The doorpost is also like, you know, crowning you in this situation, passing over you, you're part of us. Okay, so depending on how, how, how we read the doorpost, but certainly it seems from Ezekiel, right, that maybe if you read this as entering into the covenant, right, the brief comes eventually in the story in Ezekiel, okay, so we want to invoke the covenantal uh, mark uh, from later on, uh, actually from earlier on and later on in the story, which I'll bring me laugh. Yeah? Well, he's saying God is looking for a reason to redeem Israel, and redemption would come through doing the mitzvot, and there were no negative mitzvot, and here are two mitzvot that you can do, one of the past and one of the circumcision, to be worthy of redemption. Right, but he doesn't say, so I gave him the mitzvah of lulav, and I gave him talmud Torah, and I gave him right, right, 50, right, you know, matzah, right. these two particular, so, you know, I'd actually, I, I think, so, there's a lot of things going on here, what, one, th- one thing just to note, right, very silver point this out to me, is that in the language of redemption, um, of by Passover, you know, be'etzem, you know, be'etzem hayom azeh, right? In the at, at, at the right in the middle of or dafka at this at this day, you'll be redeemed is evocative of the verse in, the, in Genesis at the end of um, it's not the right page, verse in Genesis at the end of chapter 17 when Abraham is on page 30. If you want to flip, if not, I'm just going to reference it very quickly. In chapter 30 in Genesis, when Abraham and Ishmael are being circumcised. So, you know, that the Gemara calls Abraham the first ger, the first convert. Why is he the first convert? So, for a lot of reasons, but Tosfot there say because he's the first one who was circumcised. Right? So, he's the, the first circumcision. So, he says, 20, verse 26, that Abraham was, was, circ- was circumcised. Here they translate on, on that very day. So, this notion of when they hear, when Chazal hear that same language, the same language um, being recruited to talk about the Exodus. You have a sense that there's some sort of connection here between what's happening with circumcision, maybe Muki's point, right, about being claimed, about the covenant being formed, about being redeemed, a new passage, but at the dafka at this at this at this particular point, yeah. Can I just ask? I find it very strange that um, that this passage is being equated to circumcision when all the imagery is very female. Because of a female infant, yeah. <laughs> so what to do with the fact? I know I, I don't have I know I know that I don't know what to say about it exactly, right? What to do about the fact? that this infant, except that it renders even more prominent the inversion. Right, that's to say, but with the fact that we have an infant, a girl wallowing in her blood, what's that blood? We talked about, so say it's some circumcision from the male, the male child is very, is very striking. Does anyone have any ideas what that's about? I don't really know what that's about. Yeah, but it's not a girl because she's a grown up a woman because she has a femininity. Right. Like she has no, wait, wait. Well, not in, the in, 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 in the beginning of the story. You're just saying why originally did they equate these? I'm saying it's a, it's, it's, it's it's something I've noted, and I don't I don't know exactly what to, what to say about it, except that it makes the inversion more striking, which is that you know you talk about circumcision blood of a male, specifically about a female infant. Sorry, I'm not sure. Let me know if you come up with anything. Um, with it, you something. No, I was just thinking that in that way it brings together the sort of the what needs to have redemption because the passing over in that case is kind of is a is sort of done by everyone who passes this person wallowing in her own blood and you know she's out there in the field neglected basically um, so that kind of brings together the opposite the inversion there where the pass over in the other case by the doorpost the blood is sort of indicative of this is a sign that something good has happened so it kind of brings also the in spite of and the via that's interesting. Okay. So, well, interesting. I, I have wondered if the following is informing this midrash as well. Which is that earlier in the book of Exodus, in chapter 4 of Exodus, you know that Moshe is coming back towards Egypt and he has his children, he's been sent by God, and he comes to this Malon, which is, as, as uh, Nachum Sauner has argued, is a play on the word Milah in that context, he comes to some inn. And there, you remember the story in chapter 4? It comes to some inn. And it's not really clear what's happening exactly, but um, what doesn't say snake? Right? But it says some sort of, you don't think you can look, right? It says some sort of uh, mysterious force. It's on page 120. God comes to him by the Kesh Hamito, desires to kill him. So Tzipora takes a flint and she cut off her son's foreskin. Very mysterious passage about Tagalira glove. Here it says touches his leg. Some commentary thinks it means that's euphemistic for genitalia. And, and we don't know who his is. Is his the child? Is his Moshe? And says, Chatan damim lamulat. 
sorry, she says, and then he leaves him alone, and she says, you're a bridegroom of blood because of circumcision. No one knows what this means exactly. A bridegroom of blood because of circumcision. So it's interesting that here Moshe comes to, uh, is coming, you know, towards, towards Egypt, encounters some sort of dangerous force, right, in the, in some sort of divine force, whatever you have to Hashem here, means in this context, and um, Sipor's reaction is to circumcise the son and to touch Moshe, Vataga, touch Moshe, maybe touch the son, touch right, one of them with the blood right, of the foreskin, and that somehow operates as a protective measure. And indeed, actually, that same scenario plays out on the night of Makap Echorot, where the, where the Israelites right, are being, there is some sort of demonic force entering into the, into the land, and the Israelites have to take a certain type of blood. Midrash here takes chapter 4, puts it onto here, circumcision blood, and puts it onto some surface or to protect that surface from that force. Interesting, actually, the, ver- the verb utilized here is vataga lahagia, to, to touch, to make contact. So in, in, in chapter 12 of Exodus, when God um, first tells Moshe what they're supposed to do with the blood, the verb is different. He says they should take the blood and vinatanu, it's in verse uh, 12, verse 7, adam, take from the blood, vilitain, vinatanu, and place it onto the, onto the lintels, onto the doorpost. But when Moshe, later on in that chapter, conveys that command, he changes the language. And Moshe tells that command on page 137, he says, take from, this, take from uh, the blood and, and, and dip into it, vihigatem, right? and, and, and make contact with it onto the lintel and doorpost. Vihigatem, Lashon Lahagia, that's the same, same language as Vataga from his experience with the Malon. Notice he himself, well, this is, I think, what probably what some is getting from, is picking up on the fact that Moshe himself overlays, if you will, chapter 4 onto chapter 12. Right? He thinks he uses the same verb. So in part, I think it has to do with overlaying 4 onto 12. And that's actually very important because one of the motifs in the beginning of Exodus, which is not our point tonight, but one of the motifs in the first chapters of Exodus, I would argue, is the story of Moshe having to undergo the experience of the Israelites, both in terms of their enslavement and then eventually in terms of redemption before he can himself return to Egypt and be the Redeemer. This, another indication of this is Moshe when he says he has one of his sons, Gershom, Ger Hayiti Be'eres Nachriah. Ger Hayiti Be'eres Nachriah. The idea of being a Ger in this context is not like a throwaway term when you name the son. Ger Hayiti, he's saying, I too was a stranger. There's debate among the commentators there, where is he, where is he a Ger? In Egypt or where he is now? Midian. Either way, it doesn't make a difference for our purposes here. He's saying that I too have experienced Gerut, right, which is the term, Ger, your children will be Gerim. That's, that's what it means to be Avedim. So Moshe has to flee from Pharaoh, from Pharaoh's sword. Moshe has to undergo many of the same um, components of the Israelite story of enslavement for he himself can come back and redeem them, which is important important about leadership, which is not my topic for tonight. But, um, but that, I think, is partly what is happening here in this story. So part of this midrash, the mixing of the blood of the circumcision of the Paschal Lamb, is a mixing of chapter 4 onto chapter 12, both of which go onto the doorpost, onto the mashkof, and these mitzvot are what enable the Israelites to be redeemed. Though Ezekiel speaks of the helpless babe who does not deserve at all, doesn't do anything to deserve the mitzvot, and that's Ezekiel's point, and Matthew Nechirish is a different point. Matthew Nechirish thinks that you need to do mitzvot in order, in order to be redeemed. Okay, so Ad Khan, uh, part of what I think is motivating this midrash. Any like comments at this point or anything? Anything else? Yeah. Um, this is very literal. What's very literal? Okay, so let me, okay, so let, let me let me actually. Um, come, try to come back to that point. It's, it's embodied language, it's literally embodied. It's body language, it's not embodied. It's body language, it's, it's corporeal language, it's, it's visceral, and it's, all these things are literally so in this context, right? I and mean, that's what Yecheskel is doing, but Matthew Mecherish like, seizes on that. The, the blood of the Mila, the blood of, not even the, the Pesach and the Mila, the blood of the Mila and the blood of the Pesach. By the way, before I move on, before, before I forget, I'll take your, your point, just to be like, clear. So, how does this answer the Midrash's question? Right? Why take them? Why take the lamb four days early? It's nothing to do with blood. Right? The idea apparently is that he wanted them to be. What's that? Uh, when did they need to? 
Well, that is after they slaughtered, of course, and they slaughtered on the 14th, so they do at some point thereafter, right? Not, not, not those days before. It sounds like a midrash that's merely saying they were given, it's almost like literally busy work, that they were given, they were given four days to being osek in the mitzvah for the sake of being osek in the mitzvah, for the sake of being occupying themselves in some sort of ma'aseh. Right, if they didn't have that ma'aseh, then they couldn't have been redeemed. Okay, let's say they did that on the 14th. So the idea seems to be that they're extending it somehow. Why are they to the 10th? Is that Yvatov and Kippur or something like that? Who knows? Don't know, maybe. Uh, why 4? Why not 3? Why not 5? Why not 7? Don't know. Can't help you. But this is probably what's happening here. Yeah? Does putting the blood on the doorpost save them only from the mashtish? Or does it lead to the greater redemption? Yes, it's, it's a good question. So you could argue from the context of Shemot that's only from the Mashid, I think. And, and Shemot, it seems to be that the blood, and this I didn't say explicitly, but let me be explicit, that the blood in, we're reading Vayikra now, right? The blood in, uh, in, 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 the, in Tanakh is expedite, right? It, it, it's it's mechaper, right? It protects you, right? It covers up sin. It, it's part of that process, putting it onto the karnot of Mizbeach. You take blood and put it onto surfaces to achieve expiation. So, um, in the context of Shemot, it seems to be, I, I think, the former of what you said, which is that it's protect you, protecting you from that immediate danger of the mashchit. Part of his point is that, eh, no, the point is more broadly to get you to redemption. To get you to that redemption. Yeah? Well, this might be, I hope it's not going too far apart, but isn't there the concept that blood is life? Like, yeah, damhu anafesh. Yeah. And, and by taking taking your life, your blood, and, and mixing it with the, the life of a sacrifice, and then it creates a literal barrier of life to protect those those within. I think that's a really interesting point. I didn't, I didn't quite tie it together that way, so that's helpful to me. Right? In other words, you're actually putting life in, faith, in the face of death. And this I said earlier, you know, I slipped and I said sacrifice, I meant circumcision, but that's hardly what I mean. In other words, if blood is expedive, and sometimes we use the blood of animals, and here, right, I know like in Jewish circles this is not like such a such a, you know, commonly said thing. But, but here there's human blood, right, which is used to, which is spilled to protect. And, there's a, right? there's a, and to redeem. And to redeem. There's the, the fear and I mean, the, the, the fear that must be associated with adult circumcision, plus the fact that in the ancient world of any cut, you know, the rate of infection and all things like that, mm -hmm. it shows faith in the ritual itself. Mm -hmm. To say that not only am I giving my blood, but I'm... I'm uh, I trust that I'm going to survive this as well. Right, that's um, a really good point. Where does bleeding come about? Healing method of bleeding? Like bloodletting as a as a method yeah. of? Is that in Tanakh? I mean, I don't. Is that in Tanakh anywhere? Bloodletting per se. What's it? Yeah, but how about in Tanakh? The spells of the. Uh, of well, the humors. The, the humors, right? But. Right, but I don't know. In the, in the ancient Near East, for example, like more to the east, I don't know. One where I don't know one way or another when it came. Do they know about that? Don't know. Uh, yeah, Hannah. I would read. I would read the story more of a connection. Yeah. Um, not that it's just any stranded baby. It is. It is your baby, and that the blood is the connection to you, because it says it was blood from. Um, yes, from oh, the core. Part. So. I just said that in Hebrew. You know, the cord and the baby. Yeah, I know, but yeah. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, go on. Yeah. So, so there is like a connection just a natural <laughs> like... What is it? Chevelat tabur, apparently. Yeah. There Everyone knows. What do you mean? Yeah. There is a natural connection. Like, he, they got his baby, this lady, because it's, it's his. It's his. Like, it's Am Yisrael. It's his um, That's interesting. child. And then and then the Brit uh, Mila is also some kind of uh, blood that connects you to God. How so? It's, um, I don't know, but it's that it's a koban that That's makriv. Yes, if you read it as a circumcision, right, if that's, if that's the right reading of, circ of circumcision, if you read it as a sacrifice, that's, a, that's one way of reading circumcision, then, I, then your point's very well taken, Khan's point's very well taken, that, that there's a connection with the infant child, and that's part of, that's a good point. Thank you. Yeah, sorry. As I said earlier, yeah, the Brit Milah, right, exactly, the covenant. The covenant, exactly. right, exactly, yeah. Could you tell us more about this image of the of the Hevelat Tabu, who is not who is still connected, connected to whom to still Egypt the womb? 
I assumed. No, I, I, I'll tell you the truth. Oh, I'll, now it goes directly to be connected to God, and God is a mother now. I, I know as mu- I know as well as you do because I didn't really look into this very much. I mean, I. It's an interesting it's, image. It's very interesting. If you find out more, let, let me know. I assumed what it meant was that it's just saying how you're so young. This infant was just born. So, and this has to do with, with the with the afterbirth. You're still in your afterbirth. We haven't even cut the cord yet. Right, so you're still now. Who's that cord connected to? I mean, I don't, it doesn't be connected to the mother. It just means that, like, let's say it's partly disconnected from the mother, but it's still in you. And then you gotta. Uh, that's what I assumed sorry. it meant. No, so sorry. That's what I assume it means. If there's more here with your points, that's connected. And if you like followed it, yeah. pardon me, but if you followed it, you get to God or whatever. I don't know. Or to the, I don't. I don't know. I'm saying. Yeah, it's, 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 Right. And all the more powerful is that neglect when it's, there's that physical connection remaining and yet mm. being able to ignore the baby and whoever is connected. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. So, so, so far we've talked about two different like, paradigms for redemption. Right? We've talked about Dechezkel versus Matim Dechirish's idea, this idea of the, you know, the, I guess it's Sri's point also, this um, grace essentially, this undeserved redemption. Um, as opposed to being the exact opposite, which is and Muki was talking about the physicality of all this imagery. So I want to point I want to point out that at the time that this is being written, which is the Tanitic period, there are other interpretations of the Paschal story and blood circulating in the environment. Um, so just just one example, as you as you may well know, just in an early Christian writing, Justin's dialogue with Trifo. This is not on your sheets. It's on my iPhone. Um, the original source. Um, so it says here, for, and this, this is in many different places in, New Christian, in early Christian writings. This is just some selected examples. Our suffering and crucified Christ was not cursed by the law, but made it manifest that he alone would save those who do not depart from his faith. And the blood of the Passover, sprinkled on each man's doorposts and lintel, delivered those who were saved in Egypt, where the firstborn of the Egyptians were destroyed. For the Passover was Passover, Passover was Christ, who was afterwards sacrificed, etc., etc. And you seized him on Passover, and the blood of the Passover saved those who were in Egypt, so also the blood of Christ will deliver from death those who have believed. Um, Etc. 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 I affirm that he announced beforehand the future human salvation, this future salvation for human race through the blood, the blood of Christ. And the notion of of Jesus as the Paschal Lamb is a well-established early Christian. You'll forgive me, midrash, um, um, in Melito and and here in Trifo, uh, and sorry, in Justin's dialogue with Trifo, and many sources that Jesus is the Paschal Lamb, and his blood is that which is actually, um, or that the Paschal Lamb in Exodus is an advent for, right, if not an allegory for, but at least a portent, a symbol, an advent uh, for Jesus' uh, the crucifixion, right, and Jesus' blood, which will expiate, and actually the imagery of the lintel and the mashkof, right, so you have a T, right, so you have a cross, or at least a part of a sort of a cross. Um, so you, and, and that notion um, um, is, 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 certainly, uh, is, certain, is certainly about, and in general, the, the notion that... Um, the general that it's the door of Jesus, the door of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, which actually which actually saves, um, um, is interesting in this context for several reasons. One, let's talk about the last line of the Mechilta here. Ein notin sechar ela de maaseh. So when you put it into that context, you only receive reward through maaseh, through deeds, through mitzvot, and then you remember things. You remember things like. Um, um, I mean, it depends on how you read Paul, but if you read certain parts of, of Paul's writings, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus. Right? Even we have believed in Jesus, we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For the works of the law shall, shall for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Now, there's, there's, depends on how you read Paul here, there's a whole debate in the scholarship, it's, it's Paul in these writings, when Paul talks about faith over works that you can only be justified, redeemed, you can only be saved by faith in Jesus because works, because works. And in part, he might mean, probably doesn't mean in part, the commandments, as to say mitzvot, right, actually can't see, you know, there's a whole reason for it. So he's talking, when he says that, he's speaking only to the Gentiles and saying you don't have to convert, 
You don't have to become Jewish in order to be redeemed through Jesus, or he's speaking to everybody. That's a debate. Even the Jews, is he abrogating the law? That's a whole debate in Pauline scholarship, which I don't need to address right now. I'm just, I can, I can just, just one second. I can just, just to mention it. Um, but for this notion, in, and certainly in Pauline writings, I'm not talking about the Gospels, I'm talking about Pauline writings, the notion that faith is what redeems and not law, right, um, works very well with Ezekiel. And I would argue that Matzim and Cheresh is responding, now I'm not saying responding to Paul or to Justin Martyr, etc. But I would argue that he is responding to probably, I think, that type of ethos, that type of conception of how we're redeemed, which is floating around in that world. I don't know if he knows those texts. I don't know if he actually knows who, you know, Jesus, although it has been argued by others that parts of Mechilta do seem to be in dialogue no pun intended with the di- with the with the with the dialogues with Trifo, but like specifically the Mechilta, but just more broadly the notion that they're debating: do you receive do you receive reward through Maaseh or, or do you receive reward through faith? It certainly is floating around. There are other voices in Chazal, which is why I said I didn't want to take over. Gentleman left. I didn't want to take his point about rabbis in general, but there's different voices in the Chazal and in the Bible. Sadiq ben is one example that the righteous live by their faith. There are voices um, which push, more, I think, more towards the faith notion as well as the grace notion. Hence, the doesn't come out of nowhere. Ramatim Cheresh, I would say, is particularly, I think, responding to this type of reading of, of redemption. Actually, I think Maaseh I mistranslated. I think I translated here through action. If I'm right, then it actually should be translated as we're rewarded only through works. So he's specifically responding to that. And that would also make sense of the circumcision business because the notion of the blood of the circumcision, we also have indications in some, again, some students of early Christian writings that circumcisions, but through the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, we are all circumcised already. That's to say that circumcision itself um, has been, if not abrogated, then sort of reformulated or refracted differently, because the true circumcision, true redemption, comes through the blood of the blood, the blood of Jesus. So, in response to all of that, Ramat Mechiresh says, "No, no, no, no. A, we're redeemed only through mitzvot, and I'll read the Cheskel on the way to show you that, that that's true. B, those mitzvot are specifically of the Paschal Lamb, which is literal, not figurative, not indicative of 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 Jesus." I didn't read to you before just one example from, um, from Corinthians where he says, Purge out the old leaven, this should sound familiar, purge out the chame, that, that, that you may be not a new lump, even as you are unleavened. Purge out the chame, because you are not leavened. For our Passover also has been sacrificed, even Christ, meaning Jesus, and Jesus is the Paschal Lamb. So he's saying, no, it's not Jesus, it's not, it's not, it's not allegorical, it's, not, it's actually embodied, and it's embodied in this very literal mitzvah, the Paschal Lamb, A, and B, the, the, the very embodied, not abrogated mitzvah of circumcision and their blood, which are necessary, their sign of non for achieving redemption. So it's, it's actually a very large debate, right, within Chazal and not, but also I think it's a special resonance when you see, when you see which, if I'm right, which I, I, think, I think I'm right, if you see the context, you know, in the, in the world around the Tanakh period, what they're actually arguing about is how actually do humans get redeemed? Right? How do we actually do this? Um, how do we actually do this? These two sides, these two sides, um, and I was thinking, you know, these two sides, I think it depends on like where you are in life. And they both actually have, I'm not here to, to push one side of the other, they both, I think, have their force. On the one hand, the notion that, that in order to, for redemption to have any power, you have to earn it, you have to do the mitzvot, right? you have to progress yourself, you have to take an active part um, as an agent, as a mitzvah v'yos, as a commanded being, right? Um, take part of the circumcision, take part of the paschal lamb. These are the two positive mitzvot, which, as you know, which if one does not fulfill, the punishment is excision, the karet, only two positive mitzvot, right? Um, to become part of the body Israel, etc., etc. So there is that moment where you have to take, you know, pick yourself up and do action, do works, do mitzvot in order to progress yourself forward both individually and communally. All of, us are, all of us are at different moments in our own Egypts, and how do we get out of that? So there's the moment of, you have to use your stake in the mitzvot. You've got to take that lamb, look for the opportunities to take the lamb four days early, even though you don't need it till the 14th. You've got to look for the ways to take it, take it as a mishmeric, you know, and keep it, and keep your eye on it. There's that way of making your way through life. And then there are the moments where 
you say, I'm a, I'm a helpless babe by the side of the road. I'm, I just got started. I'm waddling in my blood. Right, I still have a cord attached. There's actually nothing I can do. I actually can't actually do anything to earn my way um, you know, out of this Egypt. Right? And then, then you rely on the Cheskel chapter 16. Right? Then you rely, I'm not sending you to Corinthians, but then you rely on the Cheskel chapter 16, right, where you recognize someone, something else, right? someone else has to, has to intervene here. And that itself brings with it commitments and responsibilities towards, towards the one who redeems. So there's two stories of our Passovers today. Right? All of us are in Egypt at some point or another, right? Two ways out. One is mafseh, one is, one is, one is faith. Right? I think at different points they both have certain amounts of, they both have certain amounts of power. Did you want, did you want to, you had your hand up before I thought, no. Yeah, oh, you did for a while, I'm yeah. sorry, yeah. Yeah. But also the expiation of sin. Yeah. So without, without the blood of sacrifice, how does one, uh, how, how does the chuba complete? How does chuba work? So Chazal deal with this. Right? Chazal say, once used to be through Karbanot, what do we do now? Yeah. Right. right? Exactly. So they give various answers. That's by the way, I assume part of this Midrash as well, which is, of these two, Paschal Lamb and Mila, one of them is Lodorot, the one's only for Egypt. One of them is... Right, so in other words, it's a way of the reader of, of the read, way the reader Mirdrash still engaging in that. I say Chazal say, and one that, I forget which Gemara it is, that we used to achieve they don't say expiation, but these types of things through carbonate. Now, what do we have? They give different answers. One of the answers is Gimelut Chasadim, is acts of loving kindness, well, right? And and I'll say that the the the, the connection between acts. Well, you want to say something? Yeah, go ahead. I understand. So, so, so the reject, so the rejection of that by Chazal. <laughs> no, I understand what the reading is, and I'm not just to be entire. I mean, I'm no, in, no interest in, in, in dissing that narrative. But Chazal's, Chazal's point is that um, indeed, post sacrifice, there still is the opportunity for sacrifice and expiation. The reason Gemilah Chasadim, or things like Staka, or things like things are talked about in sacrificial terms, is partly because both of them are gifts. Sacrifice, the fundamental sacrificial gesture is a gift gesture. You give up that which you own, right? And you give it on to something, you you're ready to relinquish. And being ready, ready to relinquish and realize that you don't actually fully own in the world, that by that reconceptualization of your place in the world, you achieve expiation. That's what I would argue. Which is why it's stuck as well. It's, a sim- it's not the random stuck because charity is the same thing. It's saying, I don't actually, it's not charity because you don't actually fully own anything. That's why you have to give. Because it wasn't all yours to begin with. So that's one of Chazal. Well, of course, one of the great questions of Chazal. I think that's one of, that's one of the responses Chazal might give in some of those books. Yeah? Also, a That's an interesting point. If they really felt like at the end of the they still are sacraments. I mean, I'm no, now, now I'm out of my expertise here, right? And there still are sacraments, right? Actions, right? In the, among others in the Catholic Church, including the Eucharist as, as well. So I, hear, I know I hear your point. I understand the, 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 the irony. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say two things. One is I never thought of, that's very interesting what you're saying, that like it's adding yourself to sacrifice. I hadn't quite thought about that, so that, that's helpful. And two, of course you can see where, this, where, this, where, the, where the Christian, where, how, it, how, it gets to, how it gets to that. Also the fact that the Karim Pesach is parallel to Kirat Yitzchak, but that's not for tonight. Um, also, also indicates that. Okay, so, yeah, final point. Uh, just go back to, I, I think this touches on something you said, but uh, like Jesus acting as the, the placeholder for the Passover and that uh, Christians find salvation through faith and that Jesus was the last sacrifice for them also sets up a component of that you need to go to someone higher than you in order to get salvation and I think it sets up the, the groundwork for needing priests 
and you find salvation through priests, and you do confession through priests, and, and the general population was illiterate and needed to understand the text and the priest, as opposed to to rabbinic Judaism, which kind of entrusted the people into, uh, you're going to keep doing sacrifices for yourselves, you're going to learn this text yourself, you're going to understand everything that you're doing, because you, you don't need the hierarchy to, to be in, in touch with God, like we are a nation of priests, and, and to, to take ownership over the, the traditions in that way. Yeah, that's interesting, yeah, certainly actions and mitzvot are, are accessible because they're commended to everyone. Um, so these are two tracks I think about, I think about Egypt, think about redemption, um, and I hope overall we've not only done a good reading of a uh, Mechilta, which itself is enough, <laughs> I'd be happy with that. Um, I won't say Dayenu, but, um, <laughs> but, um, but uh, I think also maybe thinking more broadly about, you know, in our own Egypts, individually and commun- communally, you know, how actually are redeemed, there's multiple ways of doing it, and uh, thinking about which ones are appropriate when. Okay.